something? I'm waiting for you. Ooh. Is that I'm shivering, I'm shaking, I'm quaking in my boots. <laughs> hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie, how are you? Oh, I am fully spooked, honey. <laughs> and you know why? Because it's the Halloween episode. No, because it's election season. I'm oh, scared. Oh, yeah, it's very scary. <laughs> the scariest time of the year. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but yes, you are correct. I have been scared for the past, uh, I guess, three weeks. We took an extra week. Yes. Um, to get in all the spooky, ooky goodness for this episode. Uh, and, and you gals know me. You know how I get. But here I am, standing. I'm, I'm still here, okay? He's stronger than yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Other lyrics. <laughs> th- thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, welcome, everyone. This is The Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject, such as an actor, a director, or a mini-genre, and we tell you the history of it, and we say, this is good, and then we say, this is not so good. We say, nuh-uh, not cool. <laughs> Name that movie. Name that movie. It's Bring uh-huh. It On. Hello. Oh, yeah, yeah. S- scariest movie of the season. <laughs> See, I was gonna go with "Girl, don't go in there." Girl, girl don't girl, don't go in there. Girl, don't do that. Girl, just leave the house. <laughs> Which brings us to this week's subject. But before we get into that, we have some old business to get to. So why don't we dive into that, and then we can tell you what we're doing for the season. Ooh. Um, okay. First things first. Uh, our last episode, we had our good buddy, our good pal Eddie Meridian on to talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. So much fun. Um, I was so uh, excited when he I, I saw all of his notes and all the, uh, the, the exciting things he had to say about Jamie, our uh, original scream queen herself. <laughs> we never um, bring notes. We're idiots. So. Yeah, I'm just like a dum-dum. <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything. Uh, so we asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite Jamie Lee Curtis movie. Um, and here are the results. Um, in a shocking uh, twist, <laughs> Eddie's pick Halloween H2O came in at last place with 11%. I will say, I was like, I have to put Eddie's pick on here, but then I can't put another Halloween movie on the poll. Right. So, you know. Thanks for killing Halloween for us, Eddie. <laughs> God, Eddie. <laughs> um, we had a, 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 the, the rest of them, it was kind of a race. It uh, was. We, I put Freaky Friday on there as just like the popular fan vote, and she came in in third place at 24%. True Lies was the dark horse. Uh, it stormed to second place with 31%. I was and, shocked. Yeah. Frankly, I, I was shocked. I think True Lies just has a lot of goodwill from a lot of people. It's like a blockbuster yeah. that's just like fun and silly. And um, I, also, I feel like also a lot of people remember it from the childhood. But honestly, like if you tried to sit there and watch all four hours of it now, I think it, I think you'd realize it's a little bit more of a chore than you want it to be. I mean, she's well, very good in it, though. She's very good in it. Um, and then our pick, A Fish Called Wanda, came in at first place with 34% eking out the win. This is a rare double win for us. Yes, a very I, rare. Because yeah. usually when you win, I lose. <laughs> usually when you win, everyone loses. Does that make me the predator to your alien? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, alien is just like the cooler, hotter, sexier. Yeah. Um, I mean, alien <laughs> is thinner. Well, shut up. <laughs> so we do have some new... Um, reviews for our lovely little pod we um, do our pod friends yeah but before we move into the episode as part of our old business we have our, our did you just say pod friends we we have reviews that have come from the internet and and rated our our beautiful podcast five stars yes. so we should read them um we have one from germany 
that says, can't stop listening. I can only guess how much time and work Gavin and Louie put into each of the entertaining and insightful episodes, but it must be insane. and I'm very thankful for it. I love taking time out of my day to listen to their witty banter and nuanced opinions. Honey, we are nuanced. <laughs> we are. Oh, are you new? Because we're honest. <laughs> uh, thank you. This is from Benita013 in Germany. Uh, we also have a couple new reviews from the UK. We have one from H72, which says, Join these friends for a movie chat. Like joining in with two friends as they discuss the highs and lows of different artists' movies' careers. Funny and interesting. And then we also have one from Sergeant Elephant Mower. <laughs> I love that name. Love Sergeant Elephant Mower. The title of this review is Deep Dive Me, Bebby. <laughs> this podcast is the best. Every episode is a detailed look at an element of film normally performer. Every episode you come away with a fresh appreciation for said element because of the thorough research that is well articulated. It's funny too, if you're into that sort of thing. Anyways, keep up the good work. Oh, love that so <laughs> Sergeant much. Sergeant Elephant Mower, you're my favorite. Uh, you know, to be the sergeant, to get the rank of Sergeant Elephant exactly. Mower. Exactly. It's a lot seems like a harder work. He's um, not an ensign elephant mower. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Um, and then we have one last one. Um, it says, um, the title is They're Mixed. Uh, I love this podcast. Louis and Gavin dive in deep when researching an actor, director, or genre, and it is so fascinating to list, listen to what they found. I find myself wishing my commute was longer so I can keep listening. I really like that they don't just give a five star, but also their one star choices. And the reviews, they are mixed. Love it. Um, and that comes from my good friend Alex. Uh, I went to high school with her, and she's now living, uh, she's back in Texas. Um, and yeah, she, she always reaches out to me saying how much she loves the episodes. She found us via the, uh, Queen Latifah episode. So oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Alex. And, uh, thanks for listening. The, the mix, the mixes, they're going to keep coming, hon. Uh, and if you guys want to do us the favor and give us a nice five-star review and leave us a little love note, you can go on to Apple podcasts and do that because, and this is what I've heard from listening to other podcasts who also shamelessly beg for reviews. Mm. The algorithm doesn't understand anything but reviews. Right. So you can listen right. to your heart's content, which we want you to do because we put so much work into this. But also, please give us a little five-star review. Tell us what you like. Mm-hmm. And the algorithm will go, hey, that's hey. really interesting. Yeah. Hey, friends. A little you're doing great. Find Girl, a you've done it again. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. You're helping other people find our podcast. <laughs> um, speaking of our podcast, Gavin... Halloween is just around the corner, which is your favorite time of year. Oh, my God. Um, it is. Um, gotta say, it's feeling especially spooky here in New York. The le- <laughs> because we're all trapped in our houses. <laughs> we're trapped in our houses. The leaves are changing. The weather is getting cooler. Um, and, yeah, this is our, our annual um, Halloween ooky spooky episode. I gotta say, even though I'm not a spooky bitch, I always find myself... Uh, when we do these episodes, learning something new, um, gaining an appreciation for the genre. So yeah, I'm excited to dive into this uh, episode. Gavin, what are we talking about? We are talking about in in the in the grand tradition, in the vein of witches on film, mm, vampires mm-hmm. on film, zombies, zombies on, on film. film. This year, we are doing ghosts on film. Ghosts, boo. <laughs> Was that, was that a Christopher Walken boo? Uh, boo. A boo. <laughs> uh, yes, I, lo- I love that we're doing this because I think um, I think there is something so very strange and special about ghosts. 
Uh, I think everybody has, I think everybody's always a little fascinated with what happens next. What happens when we pass on, when we move to the other side? Is there more? Is there not more? And I think it's one of those things that it's very universal. We've, We've talked about in our past shows, you know, witches, a lot of it had to do with being scared of the unknown and the female mm-hmm. aspect, female empowerment. And vampires had a lot to do with, you know, like what's hiding in the dark and and, and blood and sexuality. zombies. Sexuality. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Could not. I mean, there it's hard to separate vampires from sexuality, though people try. <laughs> and, and for zombies, you know, it's a fear of disease. It's a fear of collapse. It's yeah. a fear of, you know, each other in society falling apart. Yeah. And I think for ghosts, it's actually uh, the just simplest fear, which is the unknown. Yeah, I was I as I was watching as I was beginning to watch these, I was trying to like pinpoint like what is what is it about ghosts? You know, and I'm excited to talk to you about it because I know you did a lot of research um, and and just like are more familiar. Um, my gun, a ghost got me. Um I'm excited though because they got I, you, ghost. They got me, ghost. <laughs> <laughs> they got me, ghoul. <laughs> oh, uh, now I have to leave your burp in. I'm the worst editor in the world. Well, <laughs> boo. Um, no, I. You know, I think especially during the zombie episode, I was really kind of shook by, um, you know, the metaphors and the parables and what these stories are trying to tell about people and our relationships with each other. Um. And with ghosts, sometimes it was a little bit hard just because I was like, these are just fucking scary. And I don't know like what exactly, um, you know, the deeper message and the deeper meaning is um, beyond these ooky spooky little creatures that are hanging around. Um, (laughs) But as I started finding more and more um, movies that are more, uh, you know, sophisticated and not just just interested in the scares, but really interested in like, what is it that haunts us? What is it that, you know, um, we need to not only like make peace with, but making peace with ourselves. Um, you know, the things that are in our mind, the things that we see, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it, it became a lot more interesting once I started thinking of it that way. And it's not just about, Oh, you did something bad or, you know, you, you like have upset some spirits that have been like, at rest here or whatever it's more about the manifestation of uh your own fears and your own insecurities which i thought uh was very interesting and i think like i loved when movies kind of like teased that out so i'm excited to get going on ghosts and much like you found with vampires or zombies or witches there is a ghost movie for everybody oh yeah whether you want to be whether you want to be scared out of your mind whether you want to be entertained and laugh a lot whether you want romance romance whether you want to cry your fucking eyes out i'm talking about you coco um (laughs) like there truly is yeah absolutely so why don't we get into our rewind and uh we'll mix it up i almost feel like it's it's foolish of me to say this because i feel like everybody knows this but every culture has their own version of the afterlife or, or what happens next uh and a lot of them don't actually involve ghosts. A lot mm. of them, you know, it's either some redemption or is there a reincarnation. But there is a belief in ghosts in almost every culture in the world. Mm. Um, and a lot of these go back to, 
pre-recorded history, essentially. Right. right. Uh, and it's just so interesting, you know, uh, and it's not just Western ideals. And I don't, I don't want to say that, it, you know, it has to do with Western religion. China has its own, you know, they have the Festival of Hungry Ghosts. Uh, Mexico has Dia de los Muertos. Uh, and th- that extends to a lot of Central America. And so I think what's interesting is you have all these different cultures who have united in this sort of a belief in something beyond the tangible. There are so many reasons why we're obsessed by ghosts. Obviously the first is a desperation for death not to be final. The ghost story has always been about projecting and realizing things which exist in the imagination. One regret that I have is I just didn't have the bandwidth to explore outside of Western ghost movies, it, even though I know that there is a rich tradition, especially in Asian culture. Um, Japanese ghost films are probably known as like some of the best in the entire yeah. genre, um, but that I just did not have the time to get into. Movies that contain ghosts, a lot of them are not even shown in mainland China be- due to fear mm. of the superstition of ghosts and the, right. and the and the heavy belief also partially because of the party that's the, in charge. Also um, censorship. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think it's it's funny because this idea of ghosts in all cultures just permeates no matter what. So like, I think you can think of like the classic, like the classic American quote unquote ghost story. It's very like New England, you know, haunted Amityville horror type stuff. Like that feels yeah, like yeah. the most, the most classic. Um, but then there's also like the long history of like British ghosts. You think of like Shakespearean stuff. The first recorded like popular fiction ghost is Hamlet's dad in yeah. Hamlet. Hamlet's dad essentially comes to Hamlet and is like, hey, Uncle Claudius, he yeah. fucking killed me. He yeah. poured some poison in my ear. You should kill him. Your mom, leave her to heaven, whatever. Forget her. <laughs> and and that's it. I am my father's spirit. Doomed for a certain time to walk the night, and for the day confined to fast in fires, till the foul crimes done in my days of nature are burned and purged away. It goes on stage, it gets printed one gajillion times. Yep. And from there, that's that's really where, you know, the, the Western spills out from. And you you get them all throughout history. You get one of the most famous ghosts ever is the drummer of Tedworth, which I just love, which was a, a house between the 1600s and the 1847 time period that uh, the residents would hear rapping everywhere, like like banging. And I feel like that's, you know, one of those things that you you hear uh, about ghosts and then it becomes so much part of ghost culture it's like things moving on their own things making noises cold spots you talking about the rapping it made me think of um a telltale heart yeah like it's just like you and uh, the classic ghost story thing of like the house was making noises and they're like oh was it this noise and it's like the pipes or whatever and then like two acts later it's like no bitch it wasn't the pipes okay (laughs) (laughs) what do you think is the most popular ghost story of all time because it's not what you expect i don't believe I mean, it's obviously when Casper meets Wendy. Oh, yes. Uh, well, Hello. you got it. You got it. Yeah. No, the, the, the most popular ghost story of all time is Dickens' Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Totally. And, and so that it's really funny that even though ghosts are positioned in a way that that we 
are afraid of them or they're scary or they pop up out of nowhere and they they do things unexpected. We're terrified of poltergeists. Dickens' Christmas Carol is kind of a nice story in which ghosts kind of come and are like, hey, asshole, clean yeah. up your act. You learn something from them. Yeah. Who are you? Ask me who I was. All right, all right, who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. I think that's where we start sort of the rich tradition of ghosts and unfinished business. Mm -hmm. I think that's a human way of trying to understand why people would stick around after death yeah. and it's because they have uh, something that they still left over something that they're still left over to do that they never achieved in life and right. I think it's interesting because you're going to find that in a lot a, a lot of western ghost movies um, a lot of ghosts outside of western ghost movies do not give a shit they're just right. going to fucking haunt that's right. like um, you know the Dybbuk in Jewish tradition is a, a, a evil spirit slash demon though not really a demon because they don't have hell and and it's like a ghost you can't just you just can't get rid of uh-huh. and, and so they're like listen i have nothing else to do this is yeah, this is it this is it this is you you're what i've penciled in uh-huh. <laughs> yeah i i definitely agree like there's a western mostly like probably christian catholic this idea that uh you know no one would choose to do this if you were a ghost. Like, no one's here on purpose. Like, the ghosts, you are supposed to move on. You're supposed to, like, follow the light, do whatever. Um, And so if you are still here, and you, I mean, and we see that in... um, in Paranorman, which is a movie yeah. that we've seen, uh, we talked about uh, in our zombie episode, and in our witch episode, like that movie hits <laughs> all of them. I love Paranorman, but in a lot of those movies, it's like you know, I'm here to guide you, help you, warn you, yeah. type thing. And once the 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 thing is done, they get to like you know the ghost material like disintegrates and goes sparkly. Or there's the a skies. or there's a light. I mean the, the yes. big you know big. Um, Sixth Sense, yep. Casper, mm-hmm. The Frighteners, all these films that ha- position a sort of medium. Though I guess Casper, they don't really need to be a medium because Christina Ricci's a little small. Mm-hmm. Hey! <laughs> I got jokes. Um, but what about Devin Sawa? He was real big. <laughs> we are so old now. We are so, so old. old. I watched that movie and I was just like, oh my god, he's a child. A child. <laughs> Maury, that's a child. Literally, we were all... I was goofed into thinking that Devin Sawa was what, like, real boys looked like as a child. <laughs> I was like, oh, here is an American boy. It is Devin Sawa. I want his not. hair. Nope. Sadly. I was like, that's just a white child, Louis. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. And, and so I think there's, there's this whole fascination and movement. A lot of it really comes to a forefront in the late 1800s. There's a huge spiritualism movement mm. and and it starts, you know, people going to seances, people trying to contact the dead. And from what I've read about it, actually, a lot of it, what it really sounds like is almost the joy almost comes from the way that we watch illusionists, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. it seems like the audience's or part of the audiences were at least keyed into the idea that what was happening was a ruse. 
And they were there trying to figure out exactly what was going on. So they were there to either be fooled or try and figure out how they were being fooled. And you actually see that with Harry Houdini, who was one of the world's foremost debunkers who would travel around and and try and keep uh, people from being um, taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Duped. Exactly. And it's funny because he actually trained under a lot of spiritualists, which is how he learned a lot of the art of illusion. Wasn't Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle also very into the like, I think, wasn't he like very into big like uh, when photography came around? Like people were like, "Oh, look! If you take a photo, you can take you you get the picture of a spirit, ectoplasm." Yeah. And I was like, "I mean, it's kind of with all technology as it like kind of people kind of catch up to like the tricks of it all." Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle were good friends, and they would travel around together. And Houdini would debunk these psychics and and spiritualists. Would they kiss? Yeah, uh, I'd see. Uh, you know. Maybe. I haven't read those diaries. Oh. And, um, <laughs> but what actually ended up causing a rift in their relationship was a rift over the spiritualism because constantly Houdini would be like, this is all fake. It's not real. It's all illusion. And Conan Doyle would be like, you're only saying that because you have magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and that's Tell me like, the truth you have magic powers and you're not even like sharing them with me you exactly. dick it's one of my favorite stories it's like i also have ended many friendships because yes. people yes. have magic powers and they don't share them with me yeah that brings us up to the film era and so the very first ghost movie which is also considered the very first horror movie which Ooh. by today's standards is not very scary is uh, a silent film made in 1898 called The House of the Devil, directed by Georges Méliès. Mm. I hope I did that right. You've been practicing. I've been practicing. I'm the worst at pronouncing. And trust me, guys, I have a film degree, so I know who Georges Méliès is, but But I'm just bad at... Can she say it? No. Yeah, exactly. I cannot say words. It's online for free. You can watch it because it's literally three minutes. And it's essentially like a lot of like goat, like people in sheets, like Mm -hmm. and a cut and they disappear and like people turning into bats and there's a vampire and the devil shows up. Thanks to the cutting edge special effects of 1896, Georges Méliès brought to life four ghosts in the haunted castle. Long white sheets was the first prop filmmakers used to bring the undead to life. A technique that will never go out of fashion. And from there, like, you know, it sort of becomes this fascination, this sort of trickery, these camera tricks. And and you get, I think, maybe two of the best early examples are The Phantom Carriage, 1921, from Sweden, and The Headless Horseman from 1922. This version of The Headless Horseman is an adaptation of Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. This movie, this story will be remade over and over again. This original one stars Will Rogers um of Folly's fame and <laughs> i feel like ghosts on film aren't taken seriously at first right, right. Like, it, it sort of becomes a lot of comedies and part of that is censorship mm. but part of that is also just i think people were I mean, to Listen. me, it feels like very like trickstery, very like yeah. oh, something's there, and then like it moved or whatever. It's not as spooky. It's more like these humans are being tricked by something they can't see, right? And and we're also you also have to think about the time period we're talking about here. This is a lot of you know, Headless Horseman's twenty two, but the next big ghost movie is Ghost Train in twenty seven, which was made in Germany. And so after that, you know, you're hitting a lot of like tragic time period if you will right, right. uh 
you you have both the depression you have two world wars and i think people aren't really necessarily going to the theater to to see the right. horrors of reality now you know shown back at them and you get a lot of things like the film adaptation of the cat and the canary in 1927 which will then be remade in 39 which was a very popular s- stage show there isn't anything living that i'm afraid of hardly It's only the clock. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thought my time had come. The ghost goes west in 35, which is from England. <laughs> it's a Scottish ghost who, like, can't leave his castle, and his ancestor decides to have the castle moved brick by brick to Miami. Oh, service. You can't beat. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then you, you start getting adaptations of A Christmas Carol. And, I, you know, um, also the Topper films, 1937. We talked about Topper before when we talked about Cary Grant, which is a series of lighthearted films about a ghost couple who um, helps out a guy even to his dismay at points. <laughs> and and so I think what you're seeing is these more, more or less not serious ghost films, you know? Right. And, and like you said, it's it's very trickstery. It's very like that hat is floating by itself. Or, right. or like, oh no, somebody picked up my cat. Or the, oh, is it cold in here? Oh, it's the windows are actually just open. I'm thinking now of, and I didn't even realize this, but what was the Sally Field movie we watched where, like, the husband's a ghost? Kiss Me Goodbye. Mm. Kiss Me Goodbye. With Jeff Bridges and James Caan. So that's sort of the ghost that you're getting from, like, the 30s to the 40s until 1944's The Uninvited. Mm. The Uninvited is a 1944 Lewis Allen film. It is about a brother and a sister who move into a seaside mansion and some strange going on start happening every night, almost at dawn. They hear crying all throughout the house. There's a studio uh, in the in the mansion that is constantly cold and constantly smells a little like death. Ugh. And and essentially, they find out that this the person they bought it from, his wife died in the house, uh, but also his mistress maybe had something to do with it and she's also dead now so there's might be competing spirits in and i don't want to give away too much of the movie or the twist that happens but it's cool because it it is one of the first movies that i feel like really treats uh ghosts and apparitions and possessions like something scary there's a great moment where they're they decide to hold a seance and they take a glass with a table with letters on it very much like a ouija board and they start talking to the spirit and the glass flies off the table and shatters it's coming from downstairs it comes from everywhere and nowhere this feels like a very much like a blueprint for a lot of ghost movies we're going to see coming forward because a lot of times it's like you're entering a new space it's like most of the times it's a house even more times it's a fancy mansion and then you you figure out like oh some things are going crazy maybe there's a smell maybe it's cold and then you figure out who used to live here and what did they do yeah. and after that you you sort of get the split you know the split is you get things like blight spirit based off the Noel coward play uh you get the ghost and mrs muir in 47 but then on the other side of that you get things like dead of night which is the only ealing studios horror movie and it's an anthology film and contains lots of ghost stories in it and, and I think those two trajectories are, are sort of what keep going until the 60s. You get the serious sort of, there's a ghost, 
maybe in the house, maybe it's haunting a person. And it's spooky and ooky. Whereas mm-hmm. the other trajectory is more like lighthearted and it is usually there's some romance. Usually that, you know, there's a ghost who has unfinished business and you kind of want to help them move along. This is like another part of the ghost story, ghost movie narrative that I thought was really interesting. I think a lot of these movies have a lot to do with like this second life wish fulfillment. Because if it's not about, you know, in uh, what is haunting you, it's maybe also about you can get a second chance to do the thing you never wanted to do. There is something after you die and you can find happiness, love, uh, and all those good things once this life is over, which I think is kind of uh, an interesting and, and different angle uh, where it's not as like kind of heartbreaking yeah. or, or tragic. And all the movies really are like, okay, there are things worse than death that, you know, or, or, you you know, in Coco, the ghosts like are forgotten. And so they disappear forever right. or, or there, um, there are a lot of movies where it's just talking about like, Oh, the ghosts, that's for sure. Your last chance girl, we're giving you one <laughs> more time and you're a ghost. There are other ghost movies happening in other cultures and other countries. And there is a 1953 Japanese uh, movie called you Yu, or tale of Yugetsu, and it is a romance as well it's based on a book from ni- 1776 so the year our country wow. was founded yeah. um hello it's and, and so like these stories have obviously existed for a very long time and and permeated the culture but it is interesting to see what is presented on film what gets chosen to be made and mm-hmm. there's no way we could cover them all but shout out to india who is off making their own you know biggest mm-hmm. film industry in the world uh Hello. making their own ghost movies but i feel like really every the ball gets sort of rolling in terms of ghosts on movies in the 60s oh yeah and you know in 59 you get house on haunted hill which is a ghost movie without any ghosts but the next year you get uh 13 ghosts which is another William Castle film, which was, he also did House on Haunted Hill. I know you had seen the remake. We saw we saw House on Haunted Hill for Vincent, for Price. Vincent Price. Yeah. Um, and that movie is not so bonkers, <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy. And like you said, not a real ghost. Um, I did not see the original 13 Ghosts, but I did see the remake. And when I say I did, re- like, I, I've i seen 13 Ghosts. <laughs> yeah. The re- like, I that was, I mean, God, is there any more movie that's more, like, millennial? <laughs> um, we've got Matthew Lillard in it. Hello? Um, Tony Shalhoub. Uh, yeah. Every millennial's yeah. favorite. Yeah, I love that movie. It's really, uh, I, I, here's what I'll say about all ghost movies. I like it when they try to go with practical effects. I think it's really cool to see makeup work and costume work and design work um, because I think you definitely lose something when uh, you know like th- something like the Haunted Mansion where it's like all kind of CGI yeah. it's just like you, you lose the magic and kind of the horror really. Cinema has evolved far more complicated and eerie ways to show a ghost and how it can manifest. Plenty of times ghosts are in the eyes of the beholder. They are a representation from the past that lingers in the present. And the scariest ghost is, most often, the one that is kept the longest off-screen. If a director presents you a ghost at the outset, he's hardly trying to scare you. He's asking, instead, for you to understand them. The thing that people complain about about ghost movies from this era, and which really I feel like doesn't get improved until like the 70s, sort of, is their 
is the campiness of them. But mm. in all honesty, that's sort of what I love about them. That's sort of because I do agree. I prefer practical effects when and it's po- when it's possible to use them. And I always think that the, there's something more physical about them and, and something more tangible about them. And so I like seeing that. Thinking about, you know, all these ghost stories and movies where it's just a plain clothes human being. Yeah. You know, there's something a little more terrifying in that I see this person and no one else sees them. And it's because it's a ghost. Other countries, their film industries are really amping up and they're pumping out films. Mexico has their own film industry. Um, Their first La Llorona film comes out in 1933. It looks very much like uh, a Universal Studios monster movie from that time period. It's sort of structured in the same way, too. It's good. I found it. I really enjoyed it. There's one from this year that's also really fucking good from Guatemala. But mm-hmm. the the my two favorites from Mexico are 1960s La Llorona and 1961's The Curse of the Crying Woman. And uh, La Llorona from 1960 really... Um, it's really doing its own thing. And it's like the ghost comes back and, and she has to kill the child of these family. But also it presents in a way that I... I didn't know that they were sort of willing to talk about a racial aspect. Like she's Mm. an indigenous woman and she's spurned by a Spanish man. And when she is spurned, there's this really amazing scene where she's like, she runs from this ball and she runs in front of a church and she's surrounded by other indigenous men who are doing a ceremony. And then she kills her children and she comes back as a ghost. But I, I love the underpinnings of, of being willing to talk about that. The reverse of that, Curse of the Crying Woman, is just a a nuts, balls to the wall, like, lots of camera zooms, lots of, you know, fake bats, and really took the best of what they were doing with luchador cinema at the time, which was really, for the most part, um, the only way Mexico's film industry was able to sell horror films at the time was Mm. by, like, adding a vampire to a luchador movie or adding a ghost to a luchador (laughs) movie because nobody was seeing them. People only wanted to see dramas. And so it, it, the Curse of the Crying Woman really takes all of those fun elements, those like wacky uh, melodrama elements and puts them into a movie without a luchador. She spread terror because she thirsted her power in the curse of the crying woman. Over in England, you get The Innocence. Uh, mm-hmm. The Innocence is an adaptation of Henry James' Turn of the Screw. Uh, a book that is adapted to death at this point. Um, and, you know, even including Haunting of Bly Manor, the second season of Haunting of Hill House. Henry James writes Turn of the Screw. Shirley Jackson is a huge fan of Henry James. She writes The Haunting of Hill House, which is sort of a tribute, is maybe the ultimate ghost story book until Stephen King, huge Shirley Jackson fan, writes The Shining, which I think becomes the ultimate haunted house book, novel. And it's really interesting to to see all these people inspiring each other and these stories getting passed down, not necessarily in a verbal way, the way that people talk about, you know, our stories are important. For as long as there have been stories, there have been tales told of darkness and of the inexplicable. The Ghost the phantom, the the supernatural. 
goes back as far as we know right through cultural history, um, through history in the West, through history in, in, in Africa. We can point to the ghost tales which have been told since every time that we, we know about. But but being inspired and, you know, I, I personally, I love The Haunting of Hill House better than anything Stephen King has ever written. But I know in popular culture, The Shining is the tits for everybody. So <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is, I, you know, I we watched I watched The Shining for the first time for our Stephen King episode. And I, when I was doing this episode, I was like, well, wait, is The Shining? I don't know that I, when I watched it, I was like, this is a ghost story. Um, I mean, it, which is it, it is, but the, it's it's tough because there's two things going on in The Shining. There's an abusive father who's going insane, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is exacerbated by the fact that he has this gift that he can't really deal with and therefore can see the ghosts that are, you know, taking over the Overlook Hotel and right. using him. And then you have this story of these ghosts in the Overlook Hotel who are trying to sort of abuse Danny Torrance, this child who is already an abused child. Um, and I don't know. It's it's interesting. And I do think the way that <laughs> the way that Kubrick made the film, I think it's it's easy to sort of forget that it is a ghost yeah. story. <laughs> There's a lot of movies that just technically do count because yes. you know you no one thinks like chucky is a ghost story right, but he is N- but, nightmare on elm street is a movie about yeah. a ghost you know but and absolutely you're right the child's play people don't think about it but it's a ghost haunting a doll the more time you spend in that body the more human you become you mean i have to live out the rest of my life in this body no fucking way you got me into this, you get me out. I can't do that, Chucky. Why not? Because you're an abomination. You know, there's such a thing as, as ghosts that don't originate as people. There's a lot of non-Western religions that believe everything has a spirit. You know, mm. wood spirits and uh, vengeful spirits and air spirits and so there are such things as ghosts that don't necessarily come from a person dying and coming back to life but before we leave the shining i do want to say you know we talked about the shining in the stephen king episode which you can go back and listen to but stephen king always talks about the moment he realized stanley kubrick was not the person to adapt the shining was when he received a phone call from stanley kubrick at 4 a.m and stanley kubrick said to him you know i think inherently all ghost stories are optimistic and Stephen King said why and Stanley Kubrick said well I mean you know it means there's something after doesn't it huh. <laughs> what, imagine imagine think like it must be a white man to think it means there's something after it like to to even like think it must be a good thing but yeah the innocence uh adaptation of turn of the screw it's this novel about this young woman who takes a job at Bly Manor um, she's inexperienced in many, many ways, and she starts to Ooh. fall under the spell of these two children who may or may not be possessed. I fucking hate those kids. <laughs> she's like scandalized by these spirits who have made them into naughty, naughty little children. It's true. <laughs> um, and, and I think sort of ghost movies start to become a little more sophisticated from that. And and the thing about The Innocence is a lot of... A lot of what it does is it pipes into your mind the idea of like, is there ghosts or is the yeah. is the main character you're supposed to be following? Are they experiencing yeah, some form of psychosis that you're not privy to? And I think right. you sort of get that um, down the line 
in the next couple of films, Carnival of Souls in 1962, which I think is a hugely influential, very cheap movie. It's also in the public domain, so you can find it anywhere. Um, yeah, Innocence is on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. And The Haunting, 1963, which is mm-hmm. like the granddaddy of all modern haunted house movies. Uh, as I mentioned before, Shirley Jackson writes this novel, The Haunting of Hill House. It becomes this huge hit. And Robert Wise, uh, director of Sound of Music and West Side Story. <laughs> She's got the range. Yeah, directs one of the genuinely scariest films of all time i think and it's a film about three people who get chosen to be part of a study in a haunted house and sort of the possible haunting the evil house or the mental breakdown that's occurring amongst these characters a lot of movies around this time have to do with this like there's a there's probably going to be a scientist trying to study something he's lying to you about what he's studying um and everyone in the study has their own thing, whether it's, you know, and, and uh, you know, maybe someone's an empath, maybe someone, um, I don't know. Kids like, bisexual. Th- <laughs> oh, they're all bisexual, hon. Uh, you were like, I said that, empaths. <laughs> yeah, they're empaths, but I don't understand. Uh, yeah. the I, And so The Haunting was famously remade in like 99 or yeah. 2000. Um, that's, we're talking about Catherine Zeta-Jones as Theo, the bisexual who can't fall asleep. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's like when you think of classic, classic haunted house movies, The Haunting. An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, is like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Hill House had stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And whatever walked there, walked alone. Haunting works so well because we don't see anything. We don't see the ghosts at work. We sense, we hear them. Are you awake? Don't say a word, Theo, not a word. Don't let it know you're in my room. We are given complete freedom in our minds to wander through the house. I think that's a perfect way to put it because it becomes sort of a template, right? It's, it's you know, and a lot of films sort of lay themselves uh, under it. I think the one step that I'm leaving out um, in talking about, because I was talking about all these authors inspiring all these other authors, um, is in 1973. There's a film version of the of the novel The Legend of Hell House, which was a Richard yes. Matheson novel. And it is essentially, literally, the House on Haunted Hill. Same thing. But but with sex and more violence. And actually, people were really upset when the movie came out because he had toned down the sex from the the book. So Also, I feel like Legend of Hell House is the most 70s movie. They're like, okay, but make it groovy. Um, (laughs) And I guess the twist is not, like, do the study to... uh, and survive the night it's more like rich man is like you guys need to go over there and i'll give you money if you can prove that there are ghosts and there again this whole idea like there's always the even in 13 ghosts there's always this money incentive like just go be scared for money 76 brings burnt offerings 77 brings the sentinel which is 
an awful movie. 79 brings the Amityville horror movie, which is based off of what was a quote unquote true story uh, and a novel and people went really crazy for it. Um, Do you remember the remake of that? Most notably for um, Ryan, what's his face? His abs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember watching that movie in the theater with like my middle school or high school friends or whatever and just being like (laughs) hello (laughs) and i I watched the original for the first time and i was like okay he's also chopping wood but his shirt is on what the fuck is the deal (laughs) though there is there is like a whitey tidy seed for that and i was just like yes mr barbara streisand you're looking rather well (laughs) and then the 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 female lead in that is like wearing a nice just covering just so in a a little negligee lois lane herself amityville horror gets 18 spinoffs and sequels. It is the longest running ghost franchise. The 1980s brings us uh, really right out the gate. You have The Changeling with George C. Scott. Uh, I really wanted to watch that. That's one of the ones that I I saw was on a lot of lists. I appreciate it more than I like it. Okay. If that makes... Yeah, because I think it's way too long... It's very serious, and there's some really cool things. The mo- One of the most famous scenes in the film is there's a ball that bounces down the stairs when George C. Scott is home alone, and he's tired of it. So he goes out, and he takes the ball, and he throws it off a bridge, and he gets home, and he walks through the door. And what comes bouncing down those stairs soaking wet? But Ooh. the ball. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's it's that a ghost went out, got the ball, <laughs> brought it back. <laughs> it's like uh-uh, I I don't have a lot of money. I only have a certain uh-huh. number of these. How dare That's you? my fucking ball. Hello, George C. Scott understands that the specter of this child has something to communicate, and he's afraid of it, and he's afraid of what it will do. But he's also curious and wants to help it because of his own loss. There's something about heartbreak and horror that go hand in hand. What is it doing? Why is it trying to reach me? John. Is it because of my daughter? I can't go through all this again. I think a lot of ghost stories are about wrestling with the idea of loss. You also get The Fog, which is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, It's a John Carpenter film. It's about leprous pirate ghosts that come back to get their gold. And also The Shining, which we just talked about uh, Stanley Kubrick directed 81 brings ghost story based off the popular novel by Peter Straub. It kind of crashes and burns. The the novel was huge. The movie was deemed sort of overworked. Uh, You also get the entity in 1981, which my goodness. Yeah. Which is um, to date, maybe the scariest movie I've ever seen in a theater. Really? Yeah. And like, listen, it has issues. The end of that movie is fucking bonkers. But I, I, yeah, that movie terrified me when I saw it in the theaters. And the sound that the entity makes when it appears on screen is my phone's ringtone. Yeah. Okay, Gavin, that's the craziest fucking thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> but I'm not surprised. That movie, uh, you texted me, you said, I'm not going to tell you anything about the entity. And I was like, okay, whatever. And it was one of the first ones I watched, and I was like, this movie is going really hard <laughs> and really aggressive yeah. on not only, you know, ghosts and spirits and things, but, like, physical trauma and pain to women. Yeah, she goes the- through so much. It's terrifying. 
Yeah, and I will say, trigger warning, it is literally about, you know, a, a, a spirit or something that is sexually abusing a woman. Yeah. And it's, and which is probably one of the most horrifying things that could happen to a person, period. Um, and she's, the amount of hopelessness in her, in her entire existence. Barbara Hershey plays the lead in this movie, Carla Morin, and... Yeah, it's such a physical, crazy performance, and I, yeah. I, I genuinely don't know how, how she did it because it's, it's it's awful. It's a definitely a talker. It's yeah. definitely a talker. Like you're going to have opinions. Like, was making this movie even fucking worth it? Right. Putting someone through that. Like, is watching this worth it? Like, it is a hard watch. Um, and like the way that they sell it with like the it, it it's. It is not what you think it is going to be. Yeah, it's the, a hard the, watch. the most heartbreaking moment in the movie was when somebody outside of her family finally sees something happen to her. Yeah. And she like breaks down because somebody yeah. fucking believes her. We both saw it with our own eyes. We stood right there and saw it, George. You saw it? Yes. Yes, we did. We saw it. You saw it? Please forgive me, Carly. Please. I never should have sent you to that clinic. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. (laughs) Which I think I think, you know, it's it's there's something to be said about the way society treats women as victims as well, too. The way that Mm -hmm. we don't believe them and that we don't you know Right. And and that's the moment when she's like she gets a sense of like, oh my god. You saw it. You believe me. Right. And and she has relief. Even though she knows it's not going to end and it's not, you know, uh, over, at least she knows she's not crazy. Yeah. I, I genuinely, I, I do love the movie. It's funny. The, the way that I got to see it was Lincoln Center had a screening, a midnight screening a couple years ago, and they didn't get the print on time. So they're going to cancel the screening. And Martin Scorsese found out and was like, use my print. Huh. Yeah, because he, he would rather them show the film to people than have them have to refund people and people not see it. My good friend, Martin Scorsese, <laughs> he went to his closet. He said, boom, <laughs> the entity slid out and he sent it via ghost straight to Lincoln Center. Um, Thank you, Marty. In 82 comes Poltergeist, which is big budget bonanza Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. directed by toby hooper i'm putting that in quotes and produced (laughs) by steven spielberg who i was gonna say was well yeah exactly (laughs) spielberg was like yeah exactly (laughs) it's it's so funny because uh you know the so back and forth about the people that that were in that movie and and uh but i think most would agree to say that like spielberg was the person telling them what to do and (laughs) toby hooper was setting up the shots uh but there were rules at the time because spielberg was also making et you couldn't be making two productions at once obviously um but yeah uh poltergeist is you know they had the budget to put whatever they thought of on the big screen uh you get crazy spider ghosts you get swimming pools full of dead bodies hey guess what real dead bodies no yeah yeah no. uh-huh gavin why I, I you know to listen to the guy that that was their prop master explain it they got to come from somewhere. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I want to know more, but also don't tell me anything else. We did a take. I went to Craig and I said, hey, Craig, I says, you know, you don't need to make them smell like this. You know, they, they smelled. 
He says, well, they're real. The human skeletons have been used in movies for years and years. William Castle, who's a kind of a beloved figure. Well, he makes a movie called House on Haunted Hill, and at the end of that movie, uh, Vincent Price makes a, a skeleton emerge from a vat of supposedly acid. The skeleton wobbles toward his virago of a wife. Well, I was a real skeleton, too. I was a skeleton rigged up as a marionette. There's a scene at the beginning of the 1931 movie Frankenstein where Fritz the Hunchback runs into a skeleton. I mean, you know, I hate to disillusion you. Those were real human skeletons because no low-budget B-film is going to pay anybody to sculpt a human skeleton when all you had to do was go to a biological supply house and get a human skeleton. You know, wake up and smell the budget. That's really the way it worked. Poltergeist is a huge, huge blockbuster. It is a roller coaster ride of a film. And um, I think both Joe Beth Williams and Craig T. Nelson, who were both relatively unknown at the time, they'd done other stuff, but they were cast specifically because the audience, they wanted them to relate to people that they wouldn't recognize. Um, and they're they're the cool parents. They smoke a joint yeah. at one point. Yeah. They, uh, I think they both give really amazing performances and super duper shout out to Joe Beth Williams, because I think she's the heart of the movie. That movie contains one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever, which is when she is, she's like trying to assemble her life in normal. Her daughter has been kidnapped by an evil spirit. She hears her daughter in the room and she's like, baby and she like goes to open the door and there's just screaming chaos inside and she like slams the door and collapses against it and to me that scene even though it's this big effect shot what it what it really is is it's about this woman who just wants her daughter back and she's Mm -hmm. in this situation where she's blaming herself she she doesn't know how to help her child and and she's fighting against something that she can't even picture I don't know. I, yeah. it, there's so yeah. much going on. And I think Joe Beth Williams just really like God tier performance there delivering all <laughs> of that by just like crying in front of her daughter's door. Right. Um, also, shout out to Zelda Rubenstein. Oh, absolutely. I, just like she knows what she can deliver. And honey, she delivers when she just is like kind of pacing around the house <laughs> being like, <laughs> you think I'm not going to know what spirits are here? Because I do. <laughs> She's just so good. And she's and she's really, really fantastic. I mean, she's a scene stealer in that movie. They're attracted to the one thing about her that's different from themselves. Her life force. It is very strong. It gives off its own illumination. It is a light that implies life and memory of love and home and earthly pleasures you hit it right in the head like it's a roller coaster ride of a movie it's like the epitome of popcorn ghost movie you know um it's not super scary but it is creepy and like there it's it's a jolly good time um 84 sees sort of the the both sides of the coin uh you get both the first nightmare on elm street which is about a, a demonic ghost that comes and kills uh, teenagers in the dreams because their parents murdered him and you get ghostbusters which is yeah who you're gonna call exactly it's a 
everybody's seen Ghostbusters, but it's a comedy in which a bunch of scientists get together and they decided. I I was thinking about this the other day. I love that Ghostbusters is really not interested in any sort of unfinished business in terms of ghosts. No, I think the 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 magic and key of Ghostbusters really is in style. Yeah. You know, not only did they have such good design of ghosts that were original, um, but also the props um, and the style of the performers. They were, like, able to find these four great actors giving you comedy, and and um, it they were ghosts unlike you'd ever seen before. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of ghosts unlike you'd ever seen before, Beetlejuice, 1988. We probably won't spend too much time on Beetlejuice because it's the most talked about film on this podcast. When will we stop talking about Beetlejuice? <laughs> but it is about ghosts. The Maitlands are ghosts. Mm-hmm. Beetlejuice is mm-hmm. a ghost. And I also yep. find that that, you know, it's a comedy and it's also a movie that doesn't really care about unfinished business. You have a slew of of ghost movies that occur at the end of the 80s. You get High Spirits from England, Lady in White, <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 rounds out sort of the end of the decade in 89. And I think you know, the biggest mainstream ghost movie you get in America, at least is 1990s ghost. Mm-hmm. You knew we had to talk about this. I don't, we I don't did. think we've talked about this movie since we did our whoopee episode. Right. Um, famous because that's the, the movie that she won her Oscar for. Absolutely. Um, I think I, I remember talking about this with you and how, um, at the very beginning, everyone's just like really hot and naked and tearing down walls in a Soho apartment. <laughs> and they're, yeah, and they're insane Soho apartment. Like, yeah, and they're wearing nothing. What is there to say about Ghost? I mean, it's the like definitive romance right. uh, ghost movie, I guess. I've uh, never wanted to make a pot more. Yeah, I was like, get me a clay. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is called, a clay thing. thing. And, and we're going to throw it on uh-huh. the throw you yeah we definitely throw the clay you throw yes and we're getting closer and when it's done and i've had my ghost sex i'll put it mm-hmm. in the kiln yeah oh but also i remembered it was um it's like a ghost romance mystery right exactly because he's trying to figure out who killed him and why <laughs> and with what yeah in what room yeah uh-huh very that <laughs> uh I think Ghost is very fine. Yeah. I think Whoopi's the best part about she it. She really is. Um, everything else is like Though, a silly billy computer bank thing, whatever. Also, I do want to give a shout out to the Philippines. Philippines started this film series called Shake, Rattle, and Roll. I was only... Because for some reason, Filipino films are, are very hard to find in America. Uh, I've, I keep running into this issue. I tried to find some Filipino superhero movies during our 90s superhero and our super teams episodes. Uh, but they they were so hard to find any with any English translations. But the Shake, Rattle, and Roll film series are anthology films. They usually come out around Christmas. They're spooky-ooky, sometimes comedy. Uh, they, they've become sort of a, a tradition in the Philippines. I was able to watch part five. <laughs> okay. And, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I'll give them credit. It was like, it was like great. It was a well, well-produced, like high-budget Twilight Zone episode the movie ghost sort of ends the the like ghostbusters era beetlejuice era and and really like there there isn't a ton of like 
ghost comedies or not in the mainstream there are some i don't get me wrong there's like heart and souls which comes out in 1993 you know you do get some ghost comedies but they they start becoming more few and far between and i really think that's the movie ghosts influence you know it got nominated for five academy awards it wins two um and so then you get things like truly madly deeply i tried watching it gavin i said no (laughs) ma'am on the reverse of that you start getting things like Candyman in 1992. You want to talk about oh. sexy ghosts. Oh, my God. <laughs> I Okay, Candyman, i never seen before. It is very spooky, but also it is so good. It's very good. It's one of my favorites. I, I was like, holy shit. Like, it, I was shocked at not only the shockingness of the ghost storytelling, but also this movie is clearly very interested in telling you more than just um, horrors of the past but also what is happening present there's like a social commentary thing going on and i was like this fucking slaps yeah. my sister makes fun of me because i say slaps too much in this podcast <laughs> but sorry Corey, it fucking slaps like Candyman is very good and i'm excited to see um this new yeah this new iteration of it 1992 sees ghost watch which is a 90 minute special which airs on bbc we don't normally talk about tv but this is really important because it's basically like blair witch before blair witch that bbc mm. runs this news program about finding evidence of actual ghosts and it ends in a very terrifying way. And people got really scared. One man actually killed himself. And Holy BBC shit. refused to re-air it. Uh, up until recently, I believe Shudder had the rights to it. I don't know if it's available anywhere in the US. But if you ever want to watch Ghost Watch, it's really fascinating to look at. And actually has some truly scary moments. And, and it's really smart because they, they do a lot of the things where like they'll show you something. And then because it's a program... The host will be like, can we see that again? And the second time, it won't be there. Oh, fuck. And so it's like very clever in the way it presents itself. In 95, you get Casper, which is high concept kids movie. Probably the most recognized kids ghost movie. Yeah. And I would maybe even argue beyond that because we all know Casper. Absolutely. Um, he's ghost canon. Um, Bill Pullman, so cute in that movie. The cutest the, dad. The, the, yeah, the, the movie just overall, again, like, great style. And it's so good. And Casper's a character that goes back in, you know, public consciousness for many, many years. He was created around the 1940s. He's been a, a cartoon character. He's been a comic mm-hmm. book character. And so, like, this, it's funny because I, I think Casper's sort of, like, ingrained in the American identity in terms Absolutely. of pop culture figures. Um, the Frighteners in 96. So good. We saw it together. We did. Practical Magic which I don't think people think of as a ghost movie, but that there is a ghost. There is a ghost, and he's mad. <laughs> um, but also you get Ringyu, which comes out in Japan in 1998, and I think that really changes the way American films treat ghosts. And, and so I think in sort of the last gasp of, like, American ghosts, non-influenced by the Japanese films, uh, you get things like Stir of Echoes, The Blair Witch Project, and the remake of The Haunting in 99, and what lies beneath which yes i i love great michelle pfeiffer performance uh great harrison ford as a bad guy which you rarely see uh, but yeah all these things are coming out it, re- it really isn't until 2002's the ring the american remake of it where i think you really sort of see american versions of what japan is doing and japan's ghosts right. are more visceral they're scary they're jittery they make yeah. 
guttural noises. They, you know, it's 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 more horrifying yeah. in every sense of the word. It's it's less kind of floaty, you know, type shit. It's and they're gross. They're uh, and I think there's a more of a sense of hopelessness with them. They seem very much like you can't do anything to stop them really like they a yeah. lot of them are rule oriented a lot of them seem to come with curses yeah um, as i say they're very cursed based yeah and but <laughs> it it just feels like trying to get out of those curses are nearly impossible this is about the fear of our own mortality you know about getting the diagnosis that you only have so long and not being able to put the brakes on, not being able to bargain for more time. I, I do want to give a shout out to 2001's The Others, which is a, oh my God. a ghost movie that's done in a very classic sort of way. It's actually, it, for all intents and purposes, it's a Spanish film that just happens to start English-speaking people. It's, it takes a lot of inspiration from The Innocence and Turn of the Screw um, with a real big twist at the end, which I feel like most people know, but I'm not going to say it. Okay. Right. The other. I mean, if we're not talking about the others, like what the fuck are we talking about? The others, I think, is maybe one of the most popular, famous, yeah, adult contemporary ghost movies, uh, you know, of our of our time. Um, and Nicole Kidman's great in it. And again, the classic fucking creepy kids, um, you know, old people who are fucking creepy. But then that fucking twist at the end, it got me, gal. I was like, ah, oh. it. It's taking something classic and then reinventing it. Yeah. I was just like. Got me. She, and it, she's she's great. And it does an amazing job with it, too, nonetheless. Where did they go? They just came past here. Didn't you see them? Which way did they go? Over there, over there. Oh, and down there as well. <sighs> they're everywhere. They say this house is theirs. And they say they're going to take the curtains down as well. Then you start seeing things like The Grudge and the American remake of The Grudge, and you you run a, you run into all of these remakes yep. of all of these foreign films as though we've suddenly lost the ability to come up with our own ghost stories. It's almost like everybody was like, "Well, the 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 haunted houses, the banging on the walls, it's all played out. So let's right. let's delve into this." Well, and also the ring made a butt ton of money. Yeah, absolutely. And then the big American reinvention of the wheel, which is 2007's Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. And then this is the movie that comes along and it's like, no, Americans can do ghost movies, but here's how we're going to do it. Super cheap. Right. It was it was the answer to Saw and torture porn uh, in, in ghost version, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, and Paranormal, there's like a ton of remakes and i'm sure there's like oh, there's a reboot like in the works seven now. sequels and yeah and you know while that's happening in america and you're getting these really lo-fi really um found footage haunted house movies you're getting things like spain's the orphanage speaking of saw you get insidious in 2011 which is by the the guys that did saw and it's this new sort of high octane ghost movie um, where mm. it's it's a lot about jump scares and it's a lot about like the thing that you see out of the corner of your eye and the thing that you might not notice in the frame. And and I think there's um, there's definitely a uh, an art to that. But I think those guys really pull it together when they start doing the conjuring films. I don't really love Insidious or it's 
sequels as much as like I think the first Conjuring is a really great modern haunted house movie. Insidious is also by James Wan, but it's not in the Conjuring universe. No. Is that correct? No. Yeah. Okay. Even though. Like we said, there's like a, a thousand paranormal activities. I think after about the third paranormal activity, the found footage thing starts to die down a bit. And you start seeing sort of more classic takes. One of my favorites is the indie, The Innkeepers, directed by Ty West. It's a great little spooky movie about uh, a haunted hotel. Is it haunted? Is it not? Hmm. And it's very clever about what it chooses to show you, about what it chooses not to show you. Um, I I love that movie and highly recommend it. I agree with you about The Conjuring. I thought it was very well done. Yeah. The first one, I, I only watched the first one and I was very fucking scared. Lily Taylor, who's in it, I think is so fucking good. Um, I mean, everyone in that movie is really, I was like, holy shit, this movie. And again, it's taking the old school thing of like, this is a house. Um, maybe it's fucking haunted. There are some scientist people who are going to come check it out. Uh, and it kind of is able to, in a modern way, subvert all that, even though it's set in the seventies, I thought it was really clever. The, and, and what I love about it too, and what I think is really great and works and harkens back to a, a sort of earlier time period about movies is I think the thing that scares me more than just a jump scare, I think jump scares get everybody because if it doesn't, there's maybe something not connected in your brain the right way. But I I think what I like about the conjuring movies, especially the first one, I think they get, they sort of lose this as they go along is the scare you see coming, which is Mm, the ability mm -hmm. to show you there is something in frame and you need to be terrified of it, but it's not going to come after you right away. It's going to wait. And that to me is much scarier than just something popping out. And, you know, ah, of course, you know, in 2014, The Babadook, uh, an Australian film, which uh, is about ghosts as uh, grief and, uh, you know, about how the things that we let weigh upon ourselves can manifest into, um, terrors that will never leave us alone that haunt us and it's funny because i'm also really partial to another australian film from 2008 called lake mungo which is done like a documentary and it's about a a a boy faking his sister's ghost appearance and then suddenly it becomes real i watched lake mungo i was watching it and yeah and i was like is this satire (laughs) (laughs) i was I, I don't know. I, I I to me it read almost as an SNL sketch. Wow. I, I love I, that I did, movie. It's so fucking sad. I've just thought Yeah, it, I don't it know. It is interesting the way I, things hit differently. You know, I'm not I gonna I can't even like I can't even explain because so, like, the movie has like this arc of like, oh, all these things happened and blah 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 and then like Oh, P.S. I've lied and I don't care, whatever. And then it's like, but wait, bitch. Yeah. Maybe there is more. And I mean, I, I do know, I do think some of the unfolding structure is a little rough. And I do think there's some revelations that come that I'm like, okay. I think I also just don't know if the documentary format works for it. Do you want to give a shout out to 2015's Crimson Peak, which is Guillermo del Toro's uh, haunted house about. movie? Um, what's great about it is it's very classic. It's very like, you know, Bronte. But yeah. I think it also, and, you know, Del Toro is a man who knows his references. We did an entire episode on him. And we did talk about The Devil's Backbone, 
during yes. that episode, which is his other big ghost movie. Um, I think this has a lot of Devil's Backbone in it, but I think it also has a lot of like Curse of the Crying Woman in it. And I think mm-hmm. I think he he has some of those more extreme, like ludicrous moments. Those big, um, and it's I, also a beautiful movie. Oh, it's gorgeous, and I I appreciate it for that specific that it that it's able to to reach and do that. We definitely still, I mean, we're very much still in a time period in which there's a lot of ghost movies. There's still a lot of conjuring verse universe films coming out. The grudge came out at the beginning of this year, which was a remake of a remake. Um, You mentioned um, Coco and I do want to bring up both Coco and the book of life. The thing is I do want to bring them up with the warning that like, I'm very aware these are not Halloween films. They're Dia Mm -hmm. de los Muertos films. Those are different right. things. And like, I'm not saying right. like, but they do fall into this genre that we're talking about. You get more um, psychological, um, m- metaphysical takes like a ghost story, which is a really good movie starring a real shitty person. Um, yes. I watched it because you said you really liked it. And you know what? You got me, gal. It's very fucking good. Yeah, it's super affecting. Ghost Town Anthology, which is a film that came out this year. It's a French language Canadian film about people, ghosts who just start showing up in a town. Gavin, can you even believe that we missed maybe one of the most famous ghost movies of all time? What's that? 1999's The Sixth Sense. Oh, well, yes, of course, obviously. We t- we talked a little bit about it up front, but yeah, clearly one of the most influential, most important uh, ghost films to ever come out in the US. I'm not the world's biggest M. Night Shyamalan fan, but I think to deny that movie's brilliance is is to, you know... is to, folly. Yeah, it's to be... Yeah, exactly. I do say, though, I have heard people be like, oh, I think it's impossible to guess the twist. I watched that movie with my mom back in the 90s when it came out, and I remember, like, after the first scene, my mom was like, oh, so he's dead. Right. So let me your, tell you. Your, mo- your mom was like, gotcha, gal. Yeah, my, and my mom wasn't, like, on the internet forums at the time. Guys. Right. I will admit freely that I had never seen it. Oh, wow. Um, I saw it when I was uh, in Texas last week uh, with my friends. And um, obviously I knew, you know, the twist or whatever. But did did, uh, I, did that hurt you at all? Because I feel like people think have said things like, Oh, if you know the twist going in, it ruins. So I don't think it does. I think it's such a well-crafted film that it doesn't necessarily matter. I don't think it matters because the movie, to me, is not about Bruce Willis. <laughs> you know, the movie is about Haley Joel Osment, who is so good. That's in the movie. a ding I dong. Was like, I, that's a d- <laughs> ding Gavin, please. dong. <laughs> Gavin, no. <sighs> I'm gonna ignore that. <laughs> Haley Joel Osment is so good in this. I I was blown away by his performance. Um, and he just, you know, yeah. I, I've seen, um, other, uh, film centric people online just being like, this is a story about a kid who is an outsider and doesn't belong. And, um, and that's it, you know, like he's going through it and it's like a great coming out story, a queer telling. I, I, I yeah, I don't know. Him and Tony Collette are just like, <laughs> fuck Bruce Willis. I don't give a fuck about what he's doing. Like, you know, I, I could care less if he's dead or not. It's truly just about this kid kind of coming to terms with himself. She said, you came to the place where they buried her. Asked her a question. She said, the answer is every day. What did you ask? Do 
the finality of like Bruce Willis figuring out that he's dead and fi- yeah. all that shit. It's kind of like this extra to me. I was like, okay, cool. Like I, uh, to me, the emotional Zenith is with this mother and son. Absolutely. I guess what we're trying to say about ghosts on film is, you know, <laughs> I, my brain keeps being like, use the word haunt, use the word <laughs> haunt. <laughs> but I do think, ghosts sort of haunt our imaginations right because yeah. the the thing about ghost movies is there aren't necessarily rules like there are for witches or vampires or zombies like usually there's a person who can come in and lay down the rules and yeah there might be a character who comes in give you know say your zelda rubenstein or or patrick wilson and vera farmiga you know, these characters that come in that know more than you know, but they're often put in situations where they are too challenged. Yeah. And and I think it's because the whole thing with ghosts is that they are unknowable. You know, mm-hmm. you get these these ideas, you know, are are they searching for something so they can move on to another life? Are they but I don't know. I I think that's what keeps us coming back to these films and keeps us going and and paying money to sit in these darkened theaters and feel that chill up our spine when we don't know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, That's very well said. Yeah, I agree. I think the idea of what haunts you, what haunts us as people, um, whether that's something that has happened in our past, our ancestors past and someone else's past that we stumble upon, you know, and connected to ourselves in some, some way that kind of pain and trauma, um, connecting with this other pain and trauma that's lingering from the past that kind of emphasizes and picks up the existing trauma. How do you get through this? And obviously these are like in heightened and uh, fantastical, you know, ways, but in the end, oftentimes, most times the family or whoever will kind of come through and you find the peace. How do we live with this? How do I live with being haunted by X, Y, or Z? And I think that's a, a very, um, you get you get through it. Absolutely. So I think with that, we should move into our picks. Let's go. I'm mad at myself for only watching this movie I'm about to talk about and jealous that you saw these other better versions. Um, but my one-star review is for 2019's The Curse of La Llorona. It's real bad. Um, I, I couldn't believe how bad it is. And also, uh, this this movie has the, um, I don't know, pleasure, joy, I don't know, of being part of the Conjuring universe. <laughs> um, I was watching something else on HBO Max, and then this movie showed up. I was like, oh, it's on HBO Max. Might as well just watch it. Um, I think that's how everybody's tricked into doing it. <laughs> yeah, we're tricked. Uh, the algorithm. Uh, if you don't know, and I, I, it's it's funny, I think probably most people know what La Llorona is, what, who she is, the folk tale. Well, it's funny. I grew up with it. I, I you know, I, I remember, I don't know who told, it must have been my older sister or someone telling me about La Llorona. And I also grew up on a border town. So like literally the river is right there. <laughs> and so everyone's like, oh my God, don't go too close to the river because you're going to fucking hear La Llorona. She's going to fucking get you. Um, lechuzas and shit. Like it, it, it was very real. Um, but basically it's like this crying woman who's crying in the river because her children have drowned. And it, uh, it was mostly told as a warning to kids. Like if you misbehave, La Llorona is going to fucking take you and take you to the river. And it felt very visceral and real as a kid who lived like blocks from the Rio Grande. Um, 
So, The Curse of La Llorona uh, is this 2019 remake take adaptation of the tale. Um, it's, you know, it was produced by James Wan, and so it has, like, some touches of the conjuring universe in it starring our good friend linda cardellini <laughs> i do i do um, love linda cardellini we do love linda cardellini um who is also but, in some other ghost movies that we call scooby-doo and Mon- yes, scooby-doo's monsters true. unleashed yes very fair um my problem with the curse of la llorona is to me it is cheap as fuck it's it's taking a very rich uh cultural folktale um and it just cheapens it to the most base thing this story is about what would drive a woman to kill her own kids what what would what like how would that happen you know and this story just is kind of banking on you know it almost feels like exploitation it almost feels like just selling the like um mystery of this you know cultural thing uh it's i guess i'll say it's scary i can't like say with good faith that it's like i think there was one effective scare but i genuinely like i don't know i think you're also missing the point that really the only thing that can stop a spanish language legend is a white woman yeah it's it's what's wild is i so this woman has a child who looks latino yeah what does latino even look like whatever and her husband's dead and she she has a latin last name a latinx last name yes um there is a story here about motherhood and grief and this movie just like kind of shits all over it. And I think t- there's like a priest character who like this movie has a lot of moments where they're like, yeah, you know, most Latin kids will know about their grandparents or whoever who will rub eggs on shit. And that's how it's like towards spirits away. And the movie kind of makes jokes about it. And then it- it's just, it felt very exploitative and cheap. And I was like, fuck this movie. Like it, it's not worth the. It, it doesn't feel like it's handled with care. It doesn't yeah. feel like these people know what the fuck they're talking about. Can I ask you a question, Father? Yes. Do you know anything about Mayorona? I haven't heard that name since I was a child. The Weeping Woman. She was known for her beauty. The most beautiful woman in that part of Mexico. Then one day, a rich and handsome ranchero rode into her village. (laughs) She set her sights on him. The marriage was splendid. They had two beautiful children whom they treasured. But then, after a time, she discovered him in the arms of a younger woman. What'd she do? She took from him what was most priceless she murdered their children it's clearly just like a kind of easy cash grab it's a cash grab yeah latino audiences are like one of the largest movie going audiences in the united states and conjuring people i guess were like hey let's fucking just you know tack on one of our things onto one of their stories and it's 
just not good. I don't like it. And there was nothing. I'm getting (laughs) very, very clamped. I'm going to dig you out of this hole by just mentioning uh, real quick that there is a movie from this year. It's a 2020 film. Uh, It was just released on Shudder. It's Shudder exclusive uh, called La Llorona, um, which is directed by J.R. Bustamante. And Jero Bustamante did a movie last year that was my second favorite film of the year called Tremors, which is about um, gay conversion in Guatemala. And so this, it's a great, great adaptation of it because I know uh, the legend of La Llorona is very popular amongst Central America, Southern United States and everything. And so this takes that legend and recontextualizes it through the horrors of the civil war in Guatemala and, and the dictatorship mm. and um, in the killing of the gorillas. And it's really fascinating. Um, it's not super duper scary if you're really going for like, Ooh, horror movie, but it's so deep and so rich. And I think it's one of my favorite films of this year. So highly recommend that um, in place of the curse this, of La Llorona. I just, scenes of like people gathering in front of like a catholic church and like saging each other and like what are they doing they're protecting each other i'm like get the fuck out of here i I also have a problem with the conjuring universe just in general because it seems to imply that the only way to get rid of ghosts is a very catholic sort of Mm -hmm. that the only way you can get rid of ghosts is this very christian sort of like everything's holy water everything is prayer and everything and it it gets a little tiresome after a bit because it's just like really this is this is it this is what you got this is the and i also think like on a very story uh, storytelling level you know we don't I don't think Linda Cardellini and her kids yeah. learn anything. There's no, nothing they like, don't. And there's, there's like nothing that, revealed and, about their pain and their past. And spoiler alert, there's like that little bit at the end where there's like a puddle of tears and she like hears the crying in the distance and it's like, uh-uh, not done, bitch. And I was just like, yeah. okay, so then what was the point of this? What you know? Yeah, I think, you know, there is there is probably something there about this woman who is struggling because her partner has died and she's raising this kid. Uh, you know, and she's a social worker, so she's trying to help other mothers and kids. There is something to be told there, but they reduce it just to spooky woman crying in a wedding gown. Yeah. So I'm go- I'm gonna do something very different or different um different side of that, but it is still a haunted house film, um, in terms of ghosts, and that's 1979's The Amityville Horror. Uh, I, oh. I fucking hate this movie. It's so bad. Okay. It's so boring. Um, it's super melodramatic. Uh, the only thing I really like about it is Lalo Schifrin's score, which for I believe it was nominated for the Academy Award. And year, for years, people were like, oh, this was the score he wrote for The Exorcist, but was rejected. And then eventually he had to be like, no, that's not true. I, I did it for this. But um, <laughs> uh, Amityville Horrors, uh, a movie about a couple, George and Kathy Lutz, they move into a house in Amityville, New York. They bring their three children, a daughter, two sons. Um, with them, um, the house, you know, start they start experiencing supernatural deeds. It turns out that, um, you know, one year before Ronald DeFeo Jr. had murdered his entire family in the house with a shotgun. Um, while they were sleeping. While they were sleeping. There's demonic presences. The walls drip blood. Flies gather everywhere. Priests are unable to. They love the fly oh, yeah. gag in this movie. <laughs> it's so stupid, too. I can't. Flies are annoying. They're not scary. <laughs> like, like just a hot like take from Gavin. Swat, guys, hot swat. take. Come on. 
Um, yeah, there, yeah, that's true. Because he literally is like the priest just stands there and just like allows all these flies. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, girl, wipe them away. Um, James Brolin <laughs> plays George Lutz. Margot Kidder plays uh, Kathy Lutz. If I had to give a compliment to this movie, I will say they are very both very good at what they're doing. Um, even when she has to, the the like supposedly one of the scary scenes of the movie is when her daughter is contacted by a spirit and she's like. She flew out the window and her mom looks outside the window and there's like two clearly like little just glowing lights, <laughs> like oh, yeah, like yeah, little yeah. evil eyes. And she's like, I was, like <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, those are clearly like, that's like a light bright. The light bright she's is out a, the window. <laughs> she's a DIY budget queen. Um, but Rod Steiger is in this film playing Father Frank Delaney. It is one of the worst performances on screen I've ever seen in my entire life. He, you didn't like when he's blind? No. <laughs> he is screaming the entire yeah. movie, playing to the rafters. Yeah. There's a scene in which he talks to other priests and they're they're like, you should go on vacation. And he like cracks. And I was just like, what is happening with this? Like, no one would believe anything that this guy had to say. He's clearly nuts. Well, I think it's nonsense. There's nothing to cover up. I think it's bureaucratical bullshit. What do you think I am? I am not some pink cheek seminarian who doesn't know the difference between the supernatural and a bad clam. I am a trained psychotherapist. I went into that house. And what I saw there was real. What I felt there was real. And what I heard there was real. Now, gentlemen, I have a family in my parish that's at great risk. And they are facing real danger. Who the hell do you think you are? On top of that, more than anything, I know a lot of people love the Amityville sitch. The whole, like, haunted house. Where it's based, yeah, based on a true story. Uh, during a court case, it was revealed that they lied about all of this. <gasps> Stop. It's not real, guys. It's never been real. It was an insurance scam. They had the same lawyer as Ronald DeFeo Jr., the man who had murdered his children, who Holy fed fuck. them information about the murder that they then used in their story about the haunting. Wait, so they were trying to get insurance from the house? They were basically like the- trying to get out of the house they basically uh, couldn't uh, afford it which is wild because that's part of like the plot of like you wanted this fucking house didn't you like, right and i told you we didn't want it and honestly like, it's very that. and the funny thing is is i guess later they both claimed that you know things happened and there's so many like weird reports that didn't even make the movie like the the children claim that they saw cloven hoof prints in the snow but like researchers were like there was no snow that year in amity <laughs> like, and even if there was like i feel like farm animals are very right normal in that area in 1979 weber uh william weber who was ronald defeo's lawyer uh said i know this book is a hoax we created this horror story over many bottles of wine um he he claimed to have fed them a lot of information George and Kathy Lutz, you know, I don't blame them for kind of keeping the myth alive. They went on a huge press tour after this. They were on a lot of sure. TV talk shows. Also, if funny enough, if the story's not true, then that also makes the Warrens who were portrayed in the Conjuring films, but they're yeah. based on real life people look like liars because they also went to the house and said that there was an evil presence there. Uh, the real Warrens. <laughs> But 
many people have lived in that house and had no experiences whatsoever. And I know I shouldn't be mad at reality versus the film, but I also think the film is so badly made. And I think the the other problem with the movie is it can't decide. It wants to come up with all these reasons that there's ghosts. You know, right. there there is the man who murders his children. Then there's this thing about uh, a witch during the witch trials, a man that that was buried there. Then they blame the indigenous burial ground underneath the house, which is uh, where this tribe would drop off their mentally ill and bury them, uh. which is, yeah, I was like, cool. So now we're also going for racial angle. And just everything about it. And the funny thing is, is you mentioned the the financial part. I think there is a good movie in there. And I think had they carried the financial bit through to the end, it's so much more interesting than anything else. The economic anxiety, because it runs yeah. through the movie. It is totally yeah. an undercurrent. Absolutely. And and it just doesn't because they've they've got to do like the walls dripping like blood. The ending and... was very nothing. Yeah. I I was waiting for something to happen and they kind of just leave and I was like, oh, okay. It's raining, so I guess that's spooky. <laughs> yeah, I I really dislike this movie. I I this is my second time seeing it. I, I rewatched it for this just to cement my opinion, but I kind of went in going like, mm, I don't really like this. I didn't rewatch the remake and I don't remember yeah. a lot about it except for uh, Ryan Reynolds abs. So I, I, rem- I cannot tell you if it's better. Or not. I remember George Lutz attempted to sue the makers of the remake because mm. um, it really goes hard on George wanting to kill the children. Um, right. And I do, I do remember like the male character yeah. starts getting like real fucked up and wanting, to, like he becomes the antagonist. Yeah. Essentially. Was there anything else you saw that you particularly didn't like? Um, a, a movie that uh, I think we both saw, uh, Daniel isn't real. Yeah. Which to me, that is a movie that is fine by, I don't know, YouTube movie standards. <laughs> um, but Daniel isn't real. And this movie isn't real. Uh, Whoever told Arnold Schwarzenegger that his son could act was a liar, Dina. It's so uh, funny he he like took the role too because he was like it's like a Nicolas Cage role and I want to be crazy barf. like Nicolas Cage. Oh, fun. Uh, there and, and again also it's like borderline offensive I think to like mental health. Yeah, uh, it's it's a Shutter exclusive. And everyone, anytime a movie suggests that like an easy way to solve some sort of mental health issue is by killing yourself is always like, yeah, what are you doing girl? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I I think it it did remind me. And I think it does paint like a kind of uh, picture of like modern ghost storytelling and like the issues and anxieties that modern uh, people have, but it just is handled so fucking poorly. Yeah. And I did actually a movie that came out this year. Uh, that's also a Shutter exclusive. Sorry, Shutter, we're not really tying sh- shit on you because you have that La Llorona film. But um, Thirty Two Masalana Street, uh, which is a Spanish film, which is like the first hour is very Conjuring inspired. It's like really follows that pattern, and then the last half an hour is just like a ton of ableism and transphobia and i was just like what the fuck i was like where did this come from yeah so fun love that last act transphobia it's my favorite Yeah, i was like no 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 folks let's be done with this let's get into our five star reviews i had a lot of trouble because i think there's a lot of very good um ghost storytelling i watched ghost story like you said too and i was like damn she got me it's lovely i think it's like a perfect 
um, encapsulation of like a new type of ghost story, like fresh, inventive, wonderful. Um, if I was going to go classique, I would love to talk about Candyman. Um, if we're going to talk about like late nineties or in the millennium, like I think the others and the frighteners it's just so different, but so good. Um, Coco makes me cry, but it is a very, very new movie that I want to talk about that. I don't know if you've seen, um, it came out earlier this year, actually it's called relic. I did actually see it. Yeah. Uh, um, and I just don't know if I've ever wanted to scream and cry <laughs> out of sadness, but like also horror at the same time. Um, Relic is also an Australian movie starring Emily Mortimer, who's always oh, good. Yeah. Like Emily Mortimer is just always She's good. just consistent. Um, just like, yeah. yeah. This is a movie about uh, three generations of women. Um, Emily Mortimer's mother has gone missing. And so Emily, along with her daughter, um, go to her house and they are trying to find her. Um, a couple days pass and finally Edna, the, the mother and grandmother, or um, she reappears and she's a little beaten up. She's got some bruises. She doesn't want to talk about where she's been or maybe she doesn't remember. Um, it's a very quiet movie, um, but there's like this, this slow tension, twisting, burning, temperature increasing. Things are just not as they were. Grandma is a little fucking weird now. <laughs> and um, the anxiety that Emily Mortimer is feeling from both her mother and her daughter about what do you do in this situation? You know, are, are we supposed to leave her here? She obviously can't be alone. I can't, I can't take care of her. Can I take care of her? Um, does she need taken care of? Um, there's all this like really gross <laughs> close-up shots of the grandma, like making fucking candles. It's just so unsettling. Um, and by the end of the movie, uh, you know, it, it's this this psychological tinderbox of, you know, realizing that uh, the grandmother character, she is aging and the horrors that come along with losing someone um, due to age and mental illness and how that also affects you. Uh, the movie reminded me a little bit of Hereditary and this idea that um, our ancestors are inside of us. The stuff of our families is inside of us. Um, a, a lot like, you know, mental illness, cancer, um, all these things that are passed on in these generations. And uh, the movie does a really good job of using this like uh, window motif and the and mold rot. growing yeah. in this house. Yeah. And it's inside. Of, and, and eventually we are all going to rot. We're all, it's, we breathing the stuff in and the house. And again, it's also a great take on the house metaphor. You know, they're in this house and it is, you know, you find spots that are just like unkempt and maybe going bad and foul. And, but, but, but the end, and I'm not going to spoil anything, is just heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. But then on a turn of a dime, it's just like, it's also very fucking sad. It's here. Under the bed. No, there's nothing under the bed, Mum. Are you sure? Yes. 
Will you check for me? I had my like covers up to my, you know, eyes and I was scared and but also just like wanting to know more about this <laughs> woman and this family and wanting them to be okay. Uh so yeah, I saw some reviews saying that like I didn't get it. They didn't explain oh, it. Really? Like, uh that that, that <laughs> metaphor like, is like if I have a problem with that movie it's that I found the metaphor too obvious. I was like, in it from the beginning, I was like, okay, got it. And But I, I, I liked yeah, it, so I, I'm not saying anything negative, but I just think it's funny that anybody could walk into that movie and be like, I don't understand. Like, it's clear. Yeah, I was like, read a book. Like, I don't fucking know what to tell you, man. Like, have a, have a thought of your own. I just, uh, and the ending with the daughter, it's, uh, and all three of these women are very, very good. Um, shout out to Jake Gyllenhaal for producing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it's, uh, very good, and you can find. I, I paid my four dollars to stream it on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's it's very good, and I do think particularly Emily Mortimer is really great. And I do really, I highly, highly suggest. And I feel bad because I feel like they're constantly being paired together. They are female filmmaker as well as they're both movies dealing with family and trauma. But the Babadook, if you've not seen the Babadook, Louis, I I definitely recommend because it is very similar in vein. Um, I think the Babadook, in my opinion, is a little more successful. That's that's the only. <laughs> That's a Baba don't for me. <laughs> How dare you? Um, my five-star review is going to be 1961's The Innocents. Uh, I think Ooh. there are a lot of really amazing haunted house movies, fantastic ghost movies. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention 1963's The Haunting again, just because I think it really sets the template for everything that comes after it. Uh, but 1961's The Innocence is a film by Jack Clayton. Um, and it has some of the most beautiful cinematography by Freddie Francis um, in a film. It's an adaptation of Henry James' Turn of the Screw. As I mentioned, it's about a young governess who goes to Bly Manor. Um, she's going to take care of these two children. And she begins to suspect that they are uh, being possessed by the ghosts of the former groundskeeper, uh, Peter Quint, and the former governess, Mary Jessel. What I like about this movie is, first of all, I think Truman Capote has written this really brilliant script for this movie that really leaves you questioning whether there's ghosts at all or if it is. But also, I think there's something to be said about this young girl who's very much living in her head. And she's very much, uh, she's played by Deborah Carr. She's very much in a time that's very woman-repressive. Uh, she's very sexually inexperienced, sexually repressed, um, sort of religious. And she comes into the situation that she's completely unprepared for with these two children who are sort of, um, especially miles sort of more adult than they maybe should be. Um, yeah. and who have experienced this tragedy, but have also basically been left alone to raise themselves even. Like, what the fuck is up with their uncle who is just like, I don't want to hear about kids ever. Yes. And, and I love <laughs> like, that one of the things I love about the movie, one of the um, the unspoken things, Miss Giddens, played by Deborah Carr, is that she meets this man for all of 10 minutes and develops yep. this, like, fantasy love for him. Like, it almost feels like she believes if she takes care of these children, this man will come and take her away. And it's the strangest thing. Yeah, and I just love, you know, what's what's going on on the surface in the movie. Is she seeing things? Because for the most part, we never see anything when anybody else is around. Or that can that can be not easily ignored 
by other characters. Uh, Truman Capote said he felt the movie ruined itself for the scene in which the ghost is crying over her book and she goes to the book and the book is wet. But honestly, nobody else sees that book. That doesn't mean it's real. I just like love the little like faces that pop up in the mirrors and like and they they're basically like taunting her or she's trying to prove to herself it's it's you fall into this like spiral of uh self i don't know like self-psychosis which only like what like we're talking about with the entity just further like isolates this woman who is like no one is confirming what I'm seeing. Right. No one is like, has my back. She's like, when she confronts the kids, it is like, where did you learn this song? Who are you? Right. Play- I, I know you were out here with someone. And, and they're like, I don't know anything. And the problem with this is, is as I mentioned, these kids are sort of smart beyond assholes. Well, <laughs> assholes correct. There's, there's a little smart beyond their years, but the thing that she's constantly forgetting with the children is their kids. They, yeah. they're prone to like, play to make things up to have fun and they're living in a world where the sense of right and wrong is a little more nebulous and not completely as rigid or fully formed and literally that's what her job is to do and what she's doing is more often than not freaking out on them (laughs) i will say that the end the miles really goes in he does really I I won't give away the very, very ending of that movie, but it's shocking. The last five minutes of that film are shocking. Shall I tell you who taught you? The things you've done, the things you've said? Shall I tell you his name? You don't fool me. I know why you keep on and on. It's because you're afraid. You're afraid you might be mad. So you keep on and on, trying to make me admit something that isn't true. Trying to frighten me the way you frightened Flora. But I'm not Flora. I'm no baby. You think you can run to my uncle with a lot of lies. But he won't believe you. Not when I tell him what you are. A damn hussy. A damn dirty-minded hag. You never fooled us. We always knew. (laughs) So I think it's this fascinating look at at dark and light in terms of the look of the film at at sexual repression and 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 the ways that we torture ourselves and the things that we tell ourselves are real and the things that are maybe not so real i think there are so many good movies that we could talk about and i just want to make sure that well, they all get the love i think the others is yeah. just i in the same vein in the same vein of the, the others wouldn't exist without the innocence i would yeah right right is so original to me. I was like, what the fuck? Um, but it has all these same elements. Like, literally all the pieces of the puzzle are the same. And somehow they were able to make a new picture, which f- f- fucking got me. Um, and so I cannot say enough good things about the others. I also want to say, on the extreme other end of La Llorona, um, I think movies like Coco and The Book of yeah. Life are so good. Uh, and they do such good justice to the culture. I, I also watched uh, Coco for this, by the way, and I, I completely agree with you. I, re- I really loved it, and um, I certainly was not prepared for that ending. You had not, you had no, not, I seen, not it? seen it. I mentioned The Haunting up front, 1963. Uh, the other one, the other big one I wanted before we completely run over time is, <laughs> yeah, true. is 1965's Quieten which is a Japanese film, um, translates literally to ghost stories. It is an anthology film. It's four different stories. Uh, and it is maybe one of the most beautiful movies ever committed to film. It's gorgeous. It's impressionistic. It's, uh, 
has so many interesting things. It's got vengeful ghosts in it. It's got uh, ghosts that just sort of don't understand the afterlife. I think the thing that people get leery about is it's 182 minutes, but it's wor- worth I, every second. I saw, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. I was like, oh, this is a fucking long yeah. ass movie. I was like, I cannot. It's, but it's great. Um, and I highly recommend it. I mean, I think we sort of set our piece for a lot of things. I really love the innkeepers. As I mentioned, if you're looking for something um, fresh and quick on Netflix, session nine, session nine, is oh, fuck a, session nine. I love session nine. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary as fuck, different yeah. as fuck. And, uh, you know, uh, kind of weird but that's good. another movie that you can be like is there ghosts who knows yeah who knows yeah uh it's a mystery <laughs> uh before we move into our fast forward let's do our mixed reviews reviews my one star review was 2019's the curse of la llorona and my one star review was 1979's the amityville horror my five star review was 2020's relic and my five star review was 1961's the innocence So now we're in our fast forward. I do think there has been a good spate of haunted house movies. I do think, even though they the the I worry that they've played their hand too long. There's going to be another Conjuring movie. I like the first one a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, yeah. I really hope that they can sort of return to that realm of being sort of a harkening back to an older style of haunted house movies. Uh, I did want to mention, and I should have mentioned it in the in the last segment. Uh, Mike Flanagan's Dr. Sleep, his sequel to The Shining, I think is a really, really fantastic movie. Obviously, The Shining's a great movie, but this is sort of like if Kubrick wasn't as cold as he is as a director. Mm, okay. And, okay. and I, I, it's one of the rare sequels to a, a movie that's considered a classique that I think lives up to that hype. I will say uh, we didn't talk about Spirited Away at all. No. Um, but, you know, we mentioned we had a Miyazaki episode. Um, I think just I'm so impressed by the uh, kids, quote unquote, animated genre of ghost storytelling. You know, we didn't talk about Monster House, which I think is really good. Pushing the bounds of what a ghost story can be. Um, and so I, I I want that to, like, continue to, to grow and expand because you know like you said there has been a spate of really good stuff um i think a ghost story uh is also on netflix right now uh i think it starts off slow yeah but like once it gets going it really fucking gets going um it kind of fits really well into this like post-horror anxiety driven you know realm we're in right now and it's just so there's nothing more satisfying than thinking you know what you're gonna get, yeah, and then being like, "Oh shit, there's more," and and it just really you know gets your little tinglys going and like you're 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 thinking like, oh, like that's what happened with me and Relic and and like the whole idea of a haunted house and what if, what if the house was your family? What if the house is within you? Right. You know, like it's not it's not about the house. And so I love the idea like I don't have to go visit some strange house. And like try and explain spirits away. Like we all have houses. Yeah. And they're guess what, bitch? They're all haunted. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny like, too, because we didn't even we you know, and this is such a it's such a dearth of of topics that we didn't even really get to talk about the fact that, you know, there's there's all these movies that give the idea that, you know, they don't even have to be people. Like, th- sometimes places are just fucking haunted. Sometimes they're just evil yeah. places. The Hill House and the haunting 
Um, you know, the, the Overlook in The Shining, it's not necessarily about what's causing the haunting. It's just like, these are evil places. These are places of, of bad mental energy. And I love the idea that like, you might be a place that has that's being haunted or you could be a person that's being haunted. Like you were just saying, yeah. you know, we all have our own houses. We all have our own ghosts. And, yeah. and I think that's really brilliant. We, a lot of times manifest our own bad things and kind of like what you're mentioning with the Babadook. Um, it's, we carry this stuff. Like we, we, we are haunted by um, our own lives and um, our families. Um, and I do want to say like, once again, ghosts, entertainment, the belief in hauntings, like none of it's going away. There's TV shows. There's shows in which people claim that they are hunting ghosts. Oh, there's yeah. shows about ghosts. Uh, there was a, a poll in 2019 that 45% of Americans believe in ghosts. Um, I don't know if you have a ghost story I at mean, all. I definitely have like a... Uh, I remember once I had it, like I had a dream and I saw my grandmother and I hadn't seen her in so long and it was shocking. And, uh, and, and yeah, I do. I don't know if I've ever like been visited by a spirit or whatnot, right. but I definitely, um, I remember the first time I went to a Dia de los Muertos event and just lost it. I didn't know anyone there. It was in San Francisco just meeting people and like yeah. seeing their ofrendas, it fucking got me. I was like, to love so much, right? And that it's it's personal, yeah, yeah. And and that it, idea, and and like kind of the the horrors of losing someone, you know, it, it's uh, uh, really um, emotional. Um, so I, I I get it. My dad would always say that. Uh, he needed to make sure that he finished everything before he died because Meviuses have a bad tendency to become ghosts. And they, my favorite family ghost story, and there's, there's a lot. My dad is from Missouri. Um, there's, but my favorite is my grandfather after he passed away was a mechanic and he had worked on the buses at the bus stop in the town. My dad grew up in and people would claim that if you left something unfinished overnight, you could show back up and see my grandfather fixing it for you. And you would wow. get back there and the bus would be fixed by morning. Wow. And so I think that's pretty neat, you know, though, yeah. once again, hopefully they fucking unionize. Uh, <laughs> those Don't count on the ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, though, I think, I think everybody sort of has a, a personal thing. Uh, I did want to, I do want to put this fact out there, by the way, because it's my favorite ghost fact. And then we will wrap up this episode. But, uh, you know, there's been many reasons as to why people say, you know, you see ghosts, people have a tendency to see them, whether they're inebriated or if they're tired. But my favorite fact is the reason so many people see so many Victorian era ghosts or, or saw why there was such a huge uptick in Victorian era is because everything was gaslighting and mm. people were poisoning themselves with love that with low-grade gas poisoning from the, from the lights so you know there's there's many reasons why we see ghosts there's many but i did i couldn't find a place to put that in the episode until now so i just needed to <laughs> I needed you as an audience to know that uh but you're right i think i think ghosts are more than any other subject we've done more than any other monster or thing that goes bump in the night that we've covered on this show in pop culture. I think ghosts are personal and I think the everybody brings personal. Yeah. They bring their own baggage to it. Um, and w whether it be an internal haunting or an external haunting, it's, it's scary and it's sad and sometimes it's joyous and sometimes it's funny and it can be romantic, but 
Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wild though? Like, oh, there's, there's a lot of genres from the other uh, monster movies we saw, but I think this one was the one to me that I was like, oh my God, the, 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 this is so wide, wide ranging yeah. of all stuff. And so there's a little bit of like whiplash, but just thinking about it now, it's like, oh, it's so emotional me, you know, like even the ones that are so scary, it's all just about like, you know, coming together, loving what you love, taking advantage of the time we have. Yeah. Um, just really appreciating what you have yeah. and when you have it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So anyways, I think that wraps up our episode before Louie and I start weeping. <laughs> fully just weeping on, on the pod. <laughs> um, thank you everybody for joining us this week. We'll be back in two weeks and hopefully the world won't have ended by then uh girls let's <laughs> let's all come together let's vote let's keep resisting um i wanted to do a quick a quick shout out before we go um to the gals who have moxie uh uh, uh miss jen chels page and megan i i listened to their mental um checkup episode and i was like yes as chels would like to say if you don't have the facts don't come at all um <laughs> But I do I, love them. They're so good. Yeah. The Moxie I, Gals podcast, by the way, if you're not listening to it, yes, get Moxie in on Gals that. Moxie Gals pod. Uh, with, and, and it's a good reminder that we are all in the middle of a civic fucking um, revolution. And we yeah. got to like uh, take take our take our shot. We know that we have a lot of listeners from outside the U.S., but we have an election coming up, and it's one of the most terrifying things that's ever happened in our lifetime because we are just on a slippery slope towards fascism, and we're really trying to avoid that. So, would love to not do that. Mm. Yeah, would love to just skip over that part of our own history. Um, but yeah, so thank you, everybody, for listening to us and hopefully we can distract you or keep you company while you're waiting in line to vote yeah uh, but where can you find us online which is always the amazing question why we're on twitter at at the mixed reviews we're also on facebook just type in the mixed reviews you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com we're also on instagram the underscore mixed underscore reviews and if you want to listen to us like you have been doing for however long this episode is we can never be sure yeah, you can find us on apple podcasts stitcher spotify google play music amazon and if you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Don't be a ghost, gals. Don't be a ghost. Just be ever-present in our lives, letting us know how much you live, laugh, love us. Thank you. And we will read it on the show. Because we live, we... laugh, love you. Absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. We will see you again in two weeks. Please stay safe. Wash your hands. Stay indoors. Go vote if you're in the U.S. Have a happy Halloween. If you yes. don't celebrate Halloween, have a great Saturday. And may the spirits be with you. And also with you. Spooky. Spooky. It's a dead man.